When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Rilston and we're recording this episode on a Friday morning. Now, what a bit of drama uh, this morning with the podcast. It was supposed to be me and Samuel Luckhurst recording this episode, but because of some technical difficulties with the audio, we've, have to, we've had the draft in a super sub, Rich Fay for Samuel. So Rich, how are you? You say super sub, I feel a bit more like Val Vegost, really. A sort of, who's scraping <laughs> the barrel? Who can we get in to do a job? Uh, yeah, no, it's it's good. I, yeah, I wasn't wasn't prepared for this. I've, I've been to the gym this morning, uh, uh, Steve. I'm trying to sort of get as, as hench as you these days. So uh, yeah, I had to. Uh... I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> but yeah, it's, no, it's good to be on the podcast. Yeah, I said to Samuel when we were recording before, before we abandoned the podcast that uh, I've just had a haircut, so I'm feeling very good. I'm like uh, the Snickers advert, the famous Snickers advert, when it says, you're not you when you're hungry. I'm not me when I've not had a haircut. Yeah, it makes you feel better, doesn't it, once you've had that sort of a fresh, fresh sort of fade. Are you feeling a bit colder now, though? Because obviously it's still still a sort of Arctic freeze in the UK, isn't it? Are you, did you feel it when you walked out? I'm used to that, Rich. You've got to remember, I'm basically from the North Pole. Anyways, football chat, Rich. We're going to get into plenty on today's podcast. Uh, delve into Anthony Marshall's uh, future and some quotes from his agent yesterday. Obviously, we're recording on Friday, as I said. Uh, we'll discuss Sir Jim Ratcliffe's meeting with Must and the impressions that he gives supporters. And a little bit later on in part three, we'll look at some transfer bits as well, just to wrap up the podcast. And I've been told to give your podcast a plug a bit later on, Rich, as well, with Tyrone. So... It's a good podcast, rough and ready. That's what we call it. Yeah, um, there's no notes really for that podcast, so it's very different to your sort of professional approach here on the the Monday and Friday shows. Feels like I'm on sort of question time or something a bit more highbrow when I come on this podcast. No fun allowed on the Friday and Monday <laughs> shows with me and Samuel. Um, anyways, Rich Martial, uh, his agent came out yesterday, uh, Philippe Lamboli, and spoke to Sky Sports and basically said he's got to see out his contract until the summer. Um, he's obviously been absent for around five weeks now with illness um, he's actually made a full recovery and he's returned to individual training but the twist on that was that Lamboli said he's been struggling from a hip injury uh, that will probably require surgery in the end um, so if you look at it Rich there is potential for Martial to outlast another manager because he's into his ninth season now and it will be incredible if, if that happens It'll be tickling the testimonial sort of uh, range now, won't he? I'm not sure he'll be getting one, but yeah, it's it's crazy that he's he's still here. And I guess that sort of just sums up and is another constant reminder of the issues we've seen at United in terms of giving contracts to players who who don't have a resale value, players who are hard to to shift on. And we talk about, I mean, the two buzzwords at the moment are sort of FFP and then this profitable and sustainability rules of of the Premier League. And Anthony Marshall is an interesting case in both of those because obviously he's a player who the club wanted to keep when they gave him that new deal but even at the time we were saying well why are you doing this because he's never really shown up potential he's never really reached a world-class ceiling even at his very best for United he's had moments he's had these sort of flutterings but he's never been that guy that you want to invest in long term and United have found themselves trapped almost now where 
look, the player's got got the power. I know he's coming to the end of his contract and he won't be getting a new one. Um, I know Ten Hag said well, a couple of weeks ago, what well, we're in talks with Anthony Marshall. Some people led that as they're in talks of a new contract, but we don't believe it to be that way at all. It's just a, another warning, isn't it? That giving players contracts when they probably don't need to have them, you push the power back to the player and it means that Anthony Marshall has no reason to leave out this month because why would you? You're still under contract until the summer, then you can go and look for a new club. I do think he'll be able to get a, a decent decent level of club because we saw, I know he wasn't great for Sevilla when, when he joined them, but that's probably the sort of level you could expect him to go to again. And look, it was just another mistake from United to, to give him a contract. It's not paid off whatsoever. And yeah, they're lumbered with him now to the end of the season, but it's just been a a story so common at Manchester United in the in the past decade, even before that really as well. I know we always talk about this past decade since Fergie left, but even in those last few years of, of Ferguson's reign, United weren't operating as as maybe the very elite clubs were doing. So it's it's just another another tale as old as time, really, isn't it? And yeah, Anthony Marshall here to stay till the summer at least. Like you said, the interesting to see who knows, maybe another manager would give him a chance. His career has nosedived, doesn't it, really, since he joined from Monaco. I mean, he had the world at his feet. Um, remember his debut against Liverpool, obviously exploded onto the scene, really, in the Premier League. Um, had an impressive few seasons, but I think it's fair to say he's probably only had two good seasons in nine, which is incredibly disappointing. I don't think supporters are going to uh, remember his time at the club very fondly. Uh, to say the least, he's probably spent more time on the treatment table than the pitch. Um, other news then, attacking news. Um, Ahmad is looking to stay, well not looking to stay, Ten August made the decision to keep Ahmad and Palestri uh, looks set to leave on loan. Um, it's interesting that right wing pecking order at the moment because you've obviously got Ganacho playing there. He started the last four games. Um, 86 million signing Anthony as well, Rich, um, who's an option on that side. And now probably Ahmad is going to vie for a start uh, in that role. Yeah, it was damning there, isn't it? Anthony's an option on the right. Like I said, £86 million and he's only an option. Um, yeah, Ahmad or Palestri had to go this month due to Garnacho's emergence, really. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens there because, I mean, ultimately, I think... I know Sunderland fans absolutely adore Ahmad and I do think he deserves a chance until we can maybe write him off or we can see, you know, is he the solution or not? But if Garnacho does become the right winger and he's that go-to guy, you... you I don't think it's unfeasible that both Ahmad and Palestri could leave United this year permanently if Garnacho becomes the right winger. Just because, like you say, you've got Anthony there who, if Ten Hag stays the manager, he has to come good. He is Ten Hag's guy. He is the poster boy almost of, of Ten Hag's reign. So there's always going to be that pressure for the manager to make him work out and United won't want to take a heavy loss on him. You even look now and say, if you're going to sell them all, who would get you the highest fee? You'd probably say Ahmad gets you a higher fee than Anthony right now in the market, just because what he's actually achieved, and with FFP, with the you know all these rules that we said, there's there's maybe more argument to to cash in on him. Palestri is a weird one because almost every time he's come on in the first team, he's made an impact. I think back to even Fulham away. Fernandez gets that last minute winner, but it was all Palestri's work. He was he was excellent in that That's game. That's probably been the ceiling though, hasn't it, Rich? Um, I said that in my piece recently the other day. Is he's really effective off the bench, and especially when legs are tired, he kind of runs down the the right. He's very direct, but he's been unable to replicate that when he starts games. You think back to Bayern Munich, the game in the Champions League with the Allianz Arena. I felt that was a huge opportunity. He didn't take it, did he? Unfortunately. 
No, I, I say as well, Stephen, I think it's the same with Hannibal, who's obviously left on loan as well. He's always looked quite good off the bench or maybe there's that Burnley game where he looked good, but you know, it's Burnley. Uh, and when the pressure is on to start for some of these youngsters, they've just not quite been able to cut it. There's always that sort of dilemma with a player who's good off the bench. Do you keep them as a bench player because they're they're effective or do you try and promote them to, to a starting role? And for Palestri, he's one of those players that, look, we always talk, to, talk about him as, as being a youngster, but there comes a time where you realise he's not that young anymore. He's, he's 22 years old. He's played. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, is it that obvious? I mean, <laughs> Palestri's played at a World Cup. He's made, what, 20 appearances almost for Uruguay national team. Bielsa's named him as one of the future stars of the Uruguay national team. He's 22 and having a bit part at United where he, most often he doesn't even come off, off the bench just doesn't suit his his needs right now. So I think ultimately he's a good player, not a great player for, for United. Makes sense to still loan him out now and potentially cash in on him in the summer and I think it's similar with Ahmad because Sunderland fans love him but we've seen before that being one of the best players in the championship doesn't mean you're going to be one of the best players in, in the Premier League and Ahmad's always had that that bit about him he's so exciting to watch he always can make the argument that he deserves a chance he deserves a chance he looked good in pre-season he definitely now does deserve a chance between now and the summer to see if he's good enough for United but if he's not he's another one of those players who look we'll get to the age where you think there's there's better young players at the club than him. So maybe you do have to be ruthless and, and cash in on him. In terms of how you see that right wing battle developing then, I mean, Ganacho has been brilliant, hasn't he, um, in the right wing. It was his first time ever starting on the right, actually. I don't think he's ever played there in the academy. His brother tweeted that as well, his younger brother, um, against Aston Villa on Boxing Day. He obviously scored two goals, single-handedly dragged United back into that game. Uh, obviously a, a fantastic 3-2 comeback in the end. Um, so I can't really see him getting replaced by Anthony in the coming weeks anyways because Anthony's just been so poor if you throw Ahmed into the equation could there be a case to say Anthony could actually be at the bottom of that pecking order by the end of the season it's certainly not out of the question is it and I guess that's the the incentive now I mean I almost feel tired to argue all these Anthony gets another chance another chance for Anthony to prove himself can he do it he needs I mean if if you can't fight and have that if you can't reach the level of performance now, then Ahmad coming back to fitness shouldn't be what spurs you on. It, it's just, I, I'm writing a lunch piece sort of on on sort of United's finances and saying, look, for all the the villainous sort of work the Glazers have done, and you know we saw this week that what is United rather than the Glazers who paid that thirty odd million to the Rain Group to to actually sort of broker the, the transfer, uh, sorry, the takeover of the club for all the the negligence from the glazers and all the issues at the club root back to the glazers and you know they they are at the core that the, the main issue at united but and this is where rival fans will will be a bit misguided i suppose but there is i still think a bit of a valid point here united have wasted a lot of money with the money they've been allowed to spend on transfers and anthony is the embodiment of that. I know. Like I said 86 million pounds he is arguably the worst ever manchester united signing there has to be a return from him at some point. And ultimately, there has to also be a deadline. Like, When do you actually give up on him once and for all? Because we keep on saying, look, there could be more to come from him. Ten Hag is very much of that opinion. Look, he only takes maybe one game and he can get his confidence. He can be unleashed into English football properly. But I've just not seen anything to indicate that that's anywhere nearby at the moment. And yeah, there has to come a point, doesn't there, where Anthony is given up on really for the, for the money paid for him. And you're right there. There's a very 
likely situation that by the end of the season he's third choice on the right wing and like you said to begin with he is only an option there at the moment you would not have him start and go with Garnaccio and I think most United fans would rather have Ahmad given an opportunity as well I said the situation with Anthony feels very much um, similar to Jaden Sancho's predicament I mean came with a big reputation obviously much bigger than Anthony did to be fair um, but we were just waiting for him to kick on and really progress and there was glimmers of talent there was a few goals here and there maybe an assist maybe a good performance but he could never sustain it and look where he is now. He's, he's leaving the club in really disappointing circumstances. Uh, we'll leave it there anyways for part one, Rich, and we'll be back in a moment for part two. Welcome back to part two of the Manchester is Red podcast. Now, Rich, Sir Jim Ratcliffe had a meeting uh, with Must recently um, and it sounded very positive, to be fair. I mean, from what fans have said, he made a very good impression and I think all the right noises have been made over the last month or so since the news of Ratcliffe's investment was confirmed or close to being ratified um, by the Premier League. Um, but it's very encouraging, isn't it, that we're seeing a visible presence seeing him sit down with supporters because the Glazers have just been terrible communicators or they just haven't communicated and that's been the problem over the last 18 years or so. Yeah, you know, I think obviously once the takeover was initially announced, there were still a majority of the supporters who were dubious because he's working effectively, immediately he's working with the Glazers rather than against the Glazers and, you know, there's always going to be some sort of suspicion towards that I think from supporters rightfully so because look it's it's going it's approaching two decades now that they've been at the club and the club's been on a downward spiral ever since they arrived so I can understand why some supporters are still need a bit more convincing but in terms of what he's actually done himself to Jim Ratcliffe I don't think he could have really done much more to have those open lines of communication accountability and to be able to speak quite frankly and honestly is a massive step in the right direction. Just to speak at all is a massive step in the right direction because one of the biggest issues for United, you know, for all their flaws of the Glazers, there is just a fundamental issue that there's just not been any accountability or communication. I think that, you know, what they've done has been been villainous, you know, during the time at the club. However, to be devil's advocate, if they were a bit open and said, look, this is our plan, this is what we're doing, there maybe would have been a little tiny, whiny bit of sympathy, which I know sounds a bit ridiculous, but it's the fact that there was just no communication, no open lines of dialogue, something that they promised after the, the, the failed European Super League, by the way. They said they wanted to have more accountability and, and have better lines of communication. It, it just, just hasn't happened. So Ratcliffe comes in, there's not a very high bar for him to actually beat, but I do think on his own sort of merits, he's he's done a real good job. And obviously, once the deal is properly ratified by the Premier League and it's all rubber stamped and official, he does plan to speak quite openly and candidly about what the plan is, what what issues need to be to be addressed. And I think, you know, in a month's time, I think United fans will think even higher of him once he's actually had time to to do that. He'll have a lot of real tough questions to answer and it's going to be really interesting to see how he actually does that I mean questions will be asked of why are you working with the Glazers what what are your long term issues for the club do you actually think you've got the power why did you want to buy Chelsea what is your actual long term plan I mean there is the elephant in the room here that without being too morbid he is quite an old old man and you know I know he's maybe a bit more adventurous in, in later life with the investments he's making but there has to be a succession plan as well that's going to have to be in place of hey look what happens if Sir Jim had you know if he had like 
some ill health or some unforeseen circumstances and you know he maybe doesn't have all the time to implement the changes to the scale that he wants to what is the actual future plan here so i think there are a lot of difficult questions that are going to come his way in the coming weeks but i think first impressions are he is he's a step in the right direction and for some some supporters yes they didn't get the full sale they wanted but you've got to look at the lesser of the evils and so jim ratcliffe might not be perfect but he's a whole lot better than the Glazers. So I think you have to just take that as a positive, give him a chance to, to prove he's different. Ultimately, fans want to see the change for themselves. And you can talk the talk, now you've got to walk the walk. On a more trivial note then, Rich, what were your first impressions of Sir Jim Ratcliffe? Because there's a lovely photo in Getty. Uh, there is, yeah. Photos of you smiling with uh, Ratcliffe talking to journalists, obviously, before the last game. Um, there is a, a colleague, one of our journalist colleagues, sitting in the front row with a bit of a straight face. We'll not mention his name. Um, but I think the supporters have picked up on that on social media. Um, but what were your impressions in, in that press room? Yeah, I must say that colleague has sort of ruined me out being able to use that as a cover photo or using it as a sort of my own sort of propaganda because I look... Sp- smiley and happy just to be there and yeah there's some uh, more quizzical uh, sort of looks towards him but I thought he just came across as a really nice guy he was very affable very open and honest and you know it's very awkward I mean United wanted it to be very colloquial and he comes in shakes all our hands we just have a really nice sort of it was on, on the record the chat but just a very just low-key chat you know very informal yeah, very brief so yeah but the problem was it was in a press he was in the press conference room. He stood where the manager would would sit and the journalists were sort of lined up as if they would be for a press conference. So obviously it almost sort of... Instincts kicking in at that point. It kicks you in, you sort of fall into habits yeah. and it became a bit, not awkward, but it became a bit too formal, I thought. Uh, quite quite quickly people asking him questions and obviously he's not in a position right now to be able to, to answer those. So, you know, it was obviously... There'll be better opportunities, hopefully, on the horizon for for him to actually be able to to speak to the press and hopefully even maybe in, in further informal settings as well. But I thought he came across just as a really nice, honest man, and you know there, there was a limit to what he could, what he could say. But I think he he clearly has the right intentions from from what I've seen to to put the club back on track. I think obviously you've got to take everything with a pinch of salt and you know ultimately even with his investment it is only for 25 percent stake of the club and you know his voting rights won't be unanimous with, with the club they're less than 30 percent as well so he might have the right intentions i'm still just want to know what the actual succession plan here is will he ever have the opportunity to properly buy the club and own it for himself have full control because we all know in walks of life that you can be promised a lot but it's what actually happens once once it's delivered. So I think an era of scepticism is is good. You can't get too sort of carried away over it all, but the, the early signs are definitely positive. Sounds like rich PLC, doesn't it? Promising a lot, but probably not delivering. False promises. Um, there is there. <laughs> there are going to be changes though, Rich, at the club and to be honest they're overdue um, Samuel wrote this week that Sir Dave Brailsford has been sounding out former staff um, as he prepares to make sweeping changes was the direct quote from Samuel's article um, <clears throat> pardon me as I say it is overdue I mean the club has been on a steady decline over the last 15 years 10 years since the last won the Premier League title in 2013 um, I think John Murta's future needs to be decided of course he is the football director um, it was seen as a massive positive when he was appointed um, in March 2021, but 
I mean, recruitment's been very mixed since and the problems have continued. I think that needs to be a priority addressing his future, doesn't it? Because he could leave the club, he could move into a new role. Um, Ineos do want Dan Ashworth. He is he has a fantastic CV. Newcastle aren't going to let him go easily though. Um, and there's obviously a few other candidates linked to the role. But for me, Rich, I think addressing Murdo's future and getting a best-in-class sporting director is going to be key. Absolutely. I think that is the... The next decision, isn't it, really? You need to have that footballing structure that we've spoken about so often. And it needs to be this same unified sort of strategy from top to bottom. And it needs to be implemented from the very top. If you believe in what your owners are doing and you can buy into that, then everyone in the club's going to be better for it. And that's been a key issue for United that ultimately, I mean, it was that famous Woodward quote, wasn't it? That footballing matters don't direct sort of impact the business. And that's always been the issue for United. And even if you look at the financial results this week, United recorded what record match day broadcasting commercial revenues. They had record ticket sales and attendances and the best clips and the, what was it? The largest paid mem- it was membership wasn't it? in world sport. Yeah. So off the field, they're a huge success. Yeah, we all know how big of a club Manchester United is, but I mean, in terms of competing with uh, NBA and, and all the American sports, they're a huge, huge entity. They're a juggernaut, really, a commercial juggernaut. Yeah, and that is part of why the Glazers drive such a hard bargain on the takeover front because they there was there was this train of thought that look this could be upwards of a sort of ten billion pound club and brand if if you wanted it to to be that or ten billion dollars I, I believe it would have been so you know you, you can see why because even for all their failings on the pitch United is still an absolute behemoth off it and that is that's the issue isn't it that United now need to be best in class on the pitch and for footballing reasons just as they are for business reasons because as cynical as you want to be Woodwards Arnold they did their job of growing United as a commercial venture and making them one of these biggest brands despite the on-field issues now the what happens on the pitch has to be the priority for United it needs to be paramount and like you said for me that is a sporting director that is getting someone in with the expertise who's got this track record who's got the authority and the power as well to actually implement change and I think a key part as well will be with John Murta's role because it's become, it's come into question a lot recently I know from speaking to past employees of the club myself and speaking to people who have worked with him. He's not maybe as popular as, as it's made out to be at times. Obviously, if you're speaking to ex-staff, there's maybe a reason sometimes why they've left. So again, you've got to take that with a pinch of salt of, of why they might think that. But in terms of recruitment, it's it's not improved at all under him. And United might have one or two success stories, but they were targeting a 70% success rate under Edward Wood and it's barely 10% success rate United in, in the last sort of decade, maybe. So there's been a lot of failings and John Murta, we talk about the Glazers, we talked about Woodward, we talked about Arnold. Murta's almost gone under the radar, but he's been another common de- denominator in a decade of, of despair for United. So I think he has to take accountability and it might even get to the stage where, look, getting rid of him is almost a symbolic gesture that United have changed. They've got rid of another of the old guard and this is a new look club. So I think everyone who's been part of the previous regime is going to almost be vulnerable in the sense that they they over, oversaw poor performances and record lows on the pitch. So yeah, I think there needs to be clarity and accountability and ultimately there just needs to be a clearer football structure because we hear all these job titles, we hear all the people what do they actually do? We need to know that for sure. And I think the fans would benefit as well from from knowing that. I see a sporting director's role uh, sometimes as like a parent taking a kid to a sweet shop. 
they're taking the manager into the sweet shop and they're going to say, right, I want this, this and this. But you have to reason with the child and you can't just give them all the sweets because they'll be sick. And you look at Anthony Rich. They went into the sweet shop. Ten August was pushed for Anthony. The prices continued to rise at summer. Ajax have went, we want this, this, this. And eventually Anthony was signed and, and that has been a disastrous signing. Um, for priorities then, in terms of what Ratcliffe really needs to do in his first few months at the club, I suppose you can address things simultaneously. You can do it all at the same time. But if you had to really narrow it down to a few or, or maybe just one, what would you say? Because there's an argument to say the stadium needs some TLC. Of course it does. And there's a conversation around whether it needs to be knocked down or redeveloped. I'd be in preference of, of redevelopment. I don't think you can replace that history. Um, but also as well, I mean, the pressing matter, Eric Tenag's future, because results have been dismal this season, the team are underperforming and there's definitely some growing tactical concerns. Yeah. And again, I think it sort of stems to, to what we said previously in terms of what is your priority? Is your priority for United to make money for them to be a good business or is it for them to be the best football club in the world? I think that if things are going well on the pitch, then these off the field matters can so often be sort of swept into the carpet. I don't think people would really care about Old Trafford's leaky roof and the issues if United were winning games every single week, as as blunt as that sounds. I think that once singing you... in the rain, the supporters wouldn't they, Richard? Exactly. I mean, it, it wouldn't matter. It, you know, if the stadium's crumbling down and rusty and rotten, then, then so be it. I mean, because if United are winning games, they're winning games. And, you know, I, I'm going to put this out there. I mean, I was speaking to a colleague when we went to West Ham away before Christmas. And the London Stadium is, well, what is it? Sort of, te- sort of 10 to 15 years old now, obviously, from the 2012 Olympics. And I think that one looks... I think that one's aged worse than Old Trafford. It looked really rusty and dirt, like unclean. I don't on the think outside. Old Trafford's as bad as many people make no, it. No, it's because Man United are the biggest if it's club rotten. in the world. Yeah, and writing their exactly. stadiums falling exactly. down, they've got a leaky roof. It's easy, easy page views, and it's an easy pile on on Manchester United. Like I said, I honestly think that if if the results are going well, no one cares about the stadium really. You can you should gradually improve it and make make improvements, and obviously you want to do that. But for me, ultimately, I think if football if the football's going going well, that's what people are right about. That's what people will focus on. It's when they're an easy target, you can throw anything at them. Obviously, there's a lot of issues with the club, and long term, they want to improve, either redevelop or rebuild the stadium. They want to continue to rebuild Carrington if they can. Maybe even look at a different training complex if they feel that they've. They've stretched that to its limits already. They want to invest at academy level, maybe even a bespoke stadium for them at some point. They want the women's team to have you know, a better setup and better funding and a better structure themselves. So in terms of where the stadium ranks and all that, it is a pressing issue, but I just don't think it's in the top. I think United just need to get their, their act together on the pitch. And if they do that and they start winning games or at least playing with a better structure, recruit better, have a, a positivity really, then I think the stadium issue can be parked for a little bit and you can sort of just do that in the background. I think it sort of drops down the the pecking order as long as you get what happens on the pitch right. So for me, you know, Manchester United are a football club. They might be a, a good business as well, but it's Manchester United football club and they need to focus on the football. Things can only get better, Rich. Things can only get better uh, with Ratcliffe coming into the club, it seems. Um, a quick mention to Samuel's uh, newsletter then. <clears throat> He's already had a few mentions on this podcast, actually, so I probably should start charging after this. Um, but you can save 50% on Samuel's newsletter with interesting little tidbits and analysis from our chief United writer. So I believe our podcast producer will include details of how to uh, look into that. Uh, below this podcast if you're checking on YouTube and there'll also be details on social media I presume anyways that'll be it for part two we'll be back in a moment for part three
Welcome back to part three of the Manchester is Red podcast. Now, Rich, as well, another quick mention to your podcast. Your commission you this week, aren't you? I know, God, I should be raking it in this weekend. Um, you described it as good in the, in the first part, but I've listened to the financial one actually the other day and it was better than good. So um, Rich and Ty have got a midweek show. Uh, make sure to check that out because they're taking along nicely with that now. And of course, me and Samuel have the main Manchester's Red podcast on the Friday and Mondays. But as I've said, Rich is our super sub today. Um, now that said, Rich, should we get into some sales, some pop- Possible sales and talk about that a bit and um, looking ahead to the summer. I think you wrote a piece about Mason Greenwood's future. He's obviously on loan uh, with Gaddafi. Um, he won an award recently, didn't he? I think a La Liga award. Am I right in saying that? For his yeah, it's one of those ones where, again, it sort of makes good page views. In reality, he won Hetafe's Player of the Month for December, which was like a five man shortlist. It, it was voted for by the wider La Liga sort of family or, or, or sort of fans of every club. It's one of these weird ones. So it's it was the player of the month for Hetafe, and every and, but it's part of this award scheme where I think it's only eleven or twelve of the La Liga clubs signed up to it. So every club that's part of it has a player of the month award, but there's like eight teams who don't have one. So it was a weird one. Um, yeah, but he's he's an interesting case in the fact that look, obviously. We all know what's happened at Manchester United. We had the investigations and the turmoil over that last summer. United made a decision. They have to stick to that decision, I, I believe. And in terms of FFP, there's there's a pertinence to selling your academy players because effectively, in the perverse nature of, of the modern world, selling your academy players is, is beneficial. And United need to start seeing their academy as a money-making machine, really. I know United have always seen the academy as a, a pathway to the first team and an opportunity to unearth the next gem. You look at Mainy, you look at Garnacher now, both elite talents who, you know, are going to be superstars. They're already worth a hell of a lot of money, both of them, and that is real good work from the academy. And for the others who aren't won't reach that level, you've got to cash in on them, really, because right now, due to the new FFP rules, if you sell an academy player, it is pure profit. Obviously, some of them arrived for transfer fees. I know Hannibal did when he joined United initially. Garnacho himself was a £100,000 compensation fee from Atletico Madrid. So anything on top of that is just pure profit. And in terms of your accounts, it goes down as pure profit. So, you know, you look at Rashford, McTominay. But for me, Greenwood's the one this summer that if they sell him, that is just pure profit. And obviously, due to the off-field issues and, and who he is, there's still a lot of clubs who will be put off from, from actually signing him. I don't think going to Hetafe gives him a clean slate or makes him a clean asset anymore. I still think there's a lot of baggage and there'll be a lot of protests attached to him signing for, for any club, really. But in terms of his transfer... You know, United are probably in a position where they can't really afford to haggle too much because, you know, worst case is you price clubs out of a move and he stays with you and you've got another real awkward sort of PR situation there to, to deal with. And it, it, it needs to be addressed pretty urgently, urgently, doesn't it, Rich? Because you've just mentioned the word PR there. If he comes back from Gaddafi, pre-season starts, obviously we've got the European Championship this summer, so that'll push that back a little bit. But I think it's, you don't really want Greenwood driving into Carrington for the first day of pre-season no. for the PR ramifications and the consequences of that, especially when it's a new ownership in EOS Ratcliffe coming in. They want to get on the front foot and I don't think that's going to be the best look. So I think on the agenda of possible sales, I think Greenwood's going to have to be at the very top. I agree. Yeah, I don't think that you'd want, as Ineos, you wouldn't want your first proper transfer window, your first summer to be dictated by a saga surrounding him. You almost it want would, him yeah, to be... Yeah, it would be, be the Mason Greenwood story, wouldn't yeah, it? You it almost would, want that to be left behind and be like, look, this is the previous regime. We're selling him. So I think there's the tricky element there is you can't ask for too much maybe on that because, like I said, if a club's not prepared to pay it, 
then you might get lumbered with him. So you've just got to you've got to get the best deal you can, but you probably have to sell them for for less than your value map. But like I said, that would be pure profit. So there's certainly argument to to get rid of him. And again, like I said, in terms of the, the academy, I think if Maynu continues this trajectory. There's more argument to sell Scott McTominay next summer. I know he's been brilliant, but he still contradicts everything Ten Hag wants his team to do. He's still a moments player, someone who is loose in possession, who makes his driving runs forward. He's great for a team. I think he'd be perfect for West Ham in what they do with these, these quick transitions from front to back. Is There was a point made recently when McTominay had that run of form when he scored twice against Brentford. I mean, Ty Romo on this podcast. And Ty said, Sir Alex Ferguson would always make a, a, yes. a role in that squad for a player of Scott McTominay's ilk so should there not be a role for, for McTominay look we, we know his flaws are well documented we know his limitations but he can be very effective and we've saw it this season I think he's got six goals he was the leading top goal scorer or joint top goal scorer until Hoyland scored uh, against well, the games eluded me there if you want to help us out Tottenham at the weekend I think was the, did they have taken yeah but yeah I think you, I had a bottle of vodka this morning Rich so, <laughs> so that's went out of my head but no yeah that's my point I think he's he, we saw he's been reliable this season McTominay and although Ten Hag wanted to sell him he's been his lifesaver at moments he's really relied upon him it's a real difficult one because I think McTominay's own personal point of view as well he's going to go to the Euros this summer have a starring role for Scotland in their very exciting group um, he wants to be playing regular football he maybe won't get that long term at United my counter argument for that is Scott McTominay is an excellent plan B but if your plan A was better you wouldn't have to rely on plan B so often so maybe you just have to get rid of him and push ahead with the style of play you actually want and if you become more effective at the way you play you don't have to resort to lumping it long I mean you look at Man City I know it's very tedious to always liken United to them but when things aren't going well for Man City they don't just bring on a big guy and lump it forward they just stick to what they do and that's how they break teams down. They just persist. United don't do that and that's because their plan A is not good enough. So I, my counter-argument would be is you sell McTominay so that you can invest more in your plan A. You get another midfielder in who is more aligned with Ten Hag's uh, sort of style of play so that, look, you get to a game, either sort of Maynou or Casemiro or Bruno Eriksson, Mount, one of them's flagging. And you can bring on a player who's better suited, who still, you don't lose those attributes, but you get someone who's a bit of a fresh legs, maybe a, a fresher impetus to, to go win the game. So I do get the uh, Ferguson would have found a space for him. I do think McTominay's sort of physical and work rate is ethic is, is severely underrated by a lot of United fans. But I still think that if you're sticking with Ten Hag for another season then you need to to just improve that plan A. But of course, I think the, the ultimate underlying cause to all this is, are you sticking with Ten Hag? Because can, can they afford to rip up another sort of tactical blueprint this summer and, and go down a completely different avenue? I, I just don't think they can afford to. I think they also have to consider with that, what is the attraction to new players this summer? Why are they going to join Manchester United? Because there's not going to be Champions League football. Um, hopefully there's going to be Europa League football because we don't nobody wants the bloody Conference League, do they? Um, Depending on where they finish, there could be an extra Champions League place, etc. Um, by the end of the season. But what is the selling point for United in the summer to potential signings? And I think the manager could be a big influence in that. If they get a new manager in, sell them on a fresh project, that could be a factor, I think. Um, and it remains to be seen whether Ten Hag is Ineos' man as well, which personally I don't think he will be, but it depends. He's, he's probably going to be given to the end of the season unless things turn very toxic anyways. Yeah, I agree with you on all of that, really. I mean, I don't see the point of almost getting rid of him now. I think the FA Cup's always going to be that 
that silver lining and something that can sort of save his season. Obviously, Van Gaal was sacked immediately after winning the FA Cup, but there's sort of similarities growing there. I just don't think they'd sack Ten Hag until it is like mathematically impossible to qualify for the Champions League because he will always argue it only takes two, three weeks and they could be in the top four again. So there's always going to be that caveat. And United, one of those clubs where you can so easily get carried away after one good result. We saw after that Villa game, it was like, they're back, baby. We went full Rio Ferdinand, didn't we? It's like, this team, this team, they've got the cojones, they've got it all, they've got everything you need. And then, you know, they scrape past well, Wigan. They're eight points behind Tottenham and Arsenal, but it, now that is a lot, but it feels like more because of the performances. I think that's the problem. And they drew against Tottenham, of course, but it almost felt like a defeat. The performance was that disappointing. Yeah, and this is the time as well now, because obviously Tottenham have son away at the Af- uh, sorry, Asian Cup, Arsenal without some players as well. But, you know, just in terms of injuries. But there's no games in January, really, is there? There's that's, no that's games. The so where the schedule's actually happened. Yeah, yeah, almost, from United's point of view, you wish it was a really busy January so you could maybe take advantage of these other teams losing key players um, at such a crucial time. But there's no real opportunity for United to claw that, that ground back. And it was a real missed opportunity not beating Tottenham because that gap hasn't closed. Tottenham will only get stronger in, in the weeks ahead, you know, you'd expect. They've obviously bought as well this month. So, yeah, it's a really interesting one, but... I think, like we said, I still am very much the same as you. I just don't sort of see Ten Hag and Ineos. I don't see them sort of aligned in their thinking, but then it's you just question what happens if a new manager comes in. Because what if this new manager comes in? United already have so much to do transfer-wise, but what if the new manager comes in and says, I don't want Varane, I don't want Casemiro, I don't want Sancho, I don't want Anthony. I don't want Hoyland. Well, I mean, Tenard could say that himself, Rich. I mean, the, a few of the names you've listed off there. I mean, the way Varane's going, obviously his contract expires. Uh, Casemiro, we're still yet to see him return from his injury and whether he is going to be the Casemiro of last season, who was fantastic, or the Casemiro of this season, who was incredibly disappointed and, and looking like a player in the winter of his career, to be frank. Um, you've also got Harry Maguire, although he's had a renaissance recently. There's an argument to be said he should be sold. Aaron Wan-Bissaka is going to get a contract extension. But with the view of selling them on a permanent deal. So there's a lot of kind of things up in the air going into the summer window. I mean, as usual, to be fair. Yeah, there's just so much uncertainty. And I think that is the the key issue really for United in all this, isn't it? That there's still so many question marks. And again, I think that is what we talk about. What is Sir Jim Ratcliffe's first job when he when the deals are ratified? It's just trying to establish that clarity. And, you know, the sooner you've got a sporting director in, the sooner you can then make a decision on transfers and the manager. I just think right now, until the deal's completely done, you might be laying the foundations, but you can't really push ahead with anything. So from my point of view, I think there's just there's a lot that still needs to be done uh, sort of at top level before United can even sort of focus on on that. They will, they'll draft up, you know, what they want to do, but it's, it's easier said than done because again, what if you bring in a sporting director who disagrees with, with Ineos? There's just so many, so, so many factors to it all that it's going to be really interesting to see how it, how it unfolds. Where do you stand on a few of those players then, Rich, just to end the podcast? Should we start with Juan Bissaka? I mean, there's been a battle with Diego Dallo over the last 18 months. Dallo was fantastic just before the World Cup. He was probably in the form of his life, picked up an injury, came back. Juan Bissaka was fantastic and became first choice in that position. And then it's probably been a bit of a coin toss since, I think it's fair to say. Um, but I'd actually have Juan Bissaka over Dallo, personally. Um I think his, his, his attacking limitations are well known, but I think def- defensively, 
Dallow's always been pretty suspect, and I think Mambasaka just offers more on an overall package. I know that the uh, the man missing from this podcast would probably disagree with his, bo- with his both on this one, but yeah, I'm I'm certainly team Wambasaka over Dallow simply because I just I I feel like we're already watching Dallow at his absolute peak really right now, and there's still so many flaws with with him. I just don't see him getting any better than than he is right now. He's never going to be that sort of controlling right back who's a creator. He he's someone who sort of runs a lot and, and can do sort of things in an instant but he doesn't have any sort of control of his style of play you think of some of United's worst defeats this season and Dallow has been culpable in, in all of them as a standout huge issue yes he scored what w- winners against Wigan and Sheffield United but that that's not enough for it's me it's Wigan sorry. and Sheffield United exactly and I just think that I think that I mean I think back mostly to that Newcastle game in the Carabao Cup where he got absolutely destroyed at right back and that was the same issue when United beat Villarreal what was that two three years ago now Dan Juma destroyed him in the first half United come out you know they do eventually turn the game on his head but this is a guy they loaned out to Milan because he wasn't good enough and now they're still relying on him every single week I just I ultimately think that Wan-Bissaka and Dallo probably both aren't good enough but what you need this summer is a much better attacking right back so by virtue of that, you don't need Dallow. It's good to have Wambasaka because in certain games, he's a real specialist at stopping some of the, the better players in world football because he can just do a job on them. And I remember that famous clip, was it two years ago again, when sort of, or was it last season maybe? You no, know, the Zaha one where he was running through and he was like, I was definitely going to score. It just had to be Wambasaka who came back and did the job on me because he's the best at recovery tackles in, in, in the world. There's been a lot of comments like that made by players who've come against Wambasaka. I think Matoma as well after the FA Cup semi-final. Um, he came out and said, I got absolutely destroyed. I think it was the direct quote from Wambasaka. So on his day, one-on-one defending, he's unique in that sense. He is really an outstanding defender. Yeah, and that's what I'd say. I mean, if because we all know United need a better attacking right back. So my argument would be, we'll sell Dallow, get a better attacking right back, and then have Wan Bissaka as your specialist in certain games because you're still going to need him. Whereas I think if you've got hypothetically Jeremy Frimpong and Dallow, you've got two quite attack-minded fullbacks who can definitely help you in, in the final third. But have you got two? But then what happens if you play against Brighton and you've got Matoma on that wing? You're leaving or, yourself vulnerable at the back, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I just think you need that specialist if you've got one. So I'd also argue that maybe you could get more money for Dallow right now in the in the current market. I know wan is English, so there's always got to be that extra incentive on that. But, you know, maybe play Dallow into form and, and cash in on him. But yeah, for me... I'm still very much team Wambasaka. We'll stick with another Englishman and then just end the podcast. Harry Maguire um, coming into the last few years of his contract now. I mean, two good seasons, two bad seasons. This is his fifth season and it's been a bit mixed as well. Obviously started off on the wrong foot out of the team, but he has won a place into the starting side. I've been really impressed by him, his resilience as well. I mean, he's took a lot of stick, a lot of it very unfair. Um, a lot of it has been fair and fair criticism of his performances, but a lot of that is went into kind of personal vitriol on social media, unfortunately. And he's become a bit of a joke when oh, I don't think that's fair at all. Um, where would you stand on his future? Because there is that conversation again. Is it better to cash in on him now um, or keep him around the side? And I guess we're, we're talking about these players' futures, but as we've said, it kind of depends on who's in charge. Yeah, uh, I think Maguire is similar to McTominay for me, that he's a great sort of plan B and no-nonsense centre-back to have at times. But ultimately, I still think he contradicts what Ten Hag wants from a centre-back. I think he needs someone who mirrors Martinez properly. Obviously, the best ability is availability. So I think you have to get rid of either Varane or Maguire this summer. I know United want to have a, a maybe a, 
a more ruthless overhaul at centre-back, but I think it would be a huge risk to get rid of both of them and bring two new right-sided centre-backs in. I get a lot of... I'd say the most common email I get is fans complaining about my, not hatred, but overlooking of Victor Lindelof. Swedish fans email on almost a monthly, weekly basis you know, on him saying, why have you not mentioned Victor Lindelof? He's captain of the national team. He's excellent. He deserves a chance. He was brilliant for a big period of last season. But he's another in a similar sort of mould of Dallow of someone who just wasn't good enough for a huge proportion it's of that. It's inconsistency with Lindelof. He can have an excellent game, but the next game he could really be poor and let the team down and he's in and out of the side for that reason. Yeah, so even though United want an overhaul at centre-back, I just don't think they can get rid of as many players as they want to. If I had to cash in on one, I think Maguire is the one you could get the higher transfer fee right now because he's been better. Varane, you can look at sort of Saudi Arabia, the, the fact that Henderson and Benzema are trying to get out of there, you know, it, it indicates that, look, maybe it's not all, maybe that's not going to be the payday much longer that, that it was last summer. So you look at someone like Varane, who would actually buy him now? Would he have to go back to France? Would he have to go sort of for a romantic move, you know, back to, to I mean, not Lons. To Lons. They yeah. wouldn't be able to sort of well, afford the flying in league. The flying league, aren't oh, they? Yeah, been doing I suppose. Well maybe that, I mean, maybe that is promotion back. Maybe that is the one. So I think you need to get rid of either Varane or Maguire. Again, there's the factor of which manager it is. I just, right now, I'd. <sighs> Maguire is the one you should sell in terms of a transfer fee, but I think Varane. I, we keep on saying every week, I, when I write pieces, I always fall into the trap saying Varane's the best centre back, but he's never available. Well, he's not the best centre back then because he's not available all the time. So he, he ultimately isn't the best centre-back. So I would, I'd be getting rid of him, certainly. I think what the plan should be is get rid of Varane, get another centre-back in, and then if there's the opportunity to get rid of Maguire and get another in as well, you do that. But you can't get rid of both first and then leave yourself with a huge sort of gap to fill. So I think it's got to be one at a time. I'd personally get rid of Varane first, then bring someone else in. And then if you can, get rid of Maguire as well. Because we've seen what is so good and I'm not saying Varane doesn't have this but for me what what makes Maguire such a good asset is even when he's not been playing he's not been kicking up a fuss and if that's the same case next season yes he'd like to play more but I just don't see that sort of being being an issue for him and again European Championship I don't see him wanting to move before that if Maguire has a great tournament England win the, the tournament which I think is is quite likely he reluctantly says as a, as a proud Welshman well, I think if I sort of think it, then I firstly, if if I anticipate it's going to happen, it's easy when it does happen. And if I big you up, it'd be great when you fall. So uh, yeah, a win-win situation. Then, I mean, that being said, with the the centre back situation, I could actually see Johnny Evans getting a contract extension as well. He's been brilliant this season. He's probably in uh, the running for the Matt Busby Player of the Year award actually, which was being absolutely mad to see when he rocked up to Carrington to keep up his fitness levels in the summer but if there is going to be change and there is going to be a kind of overhaul in that department it probably makes sense to keep him just for another year um, his injury record's not been that bad and I think that was the biggest concern wasn't it when he came from Leicester was would he be fit would he be available he has been absent for a few games with uh, the odd knock or two but he's mostly been available and as you said Rich availability is definitely the best ability um, okay that'll be it for today then Rich and thank you very much for your time thank you very much for having me yeah maybe who knows if a super sub will be required again but no it's been great to be on better than workhorse I'd say definitely I think that's fair to say and to the listeners it'll be me and Samuel back on Monday um, providing that his audio isn't absolutely terrible Um, so have a great weekend and we'll catch you then 